0: Oh. There's no German
1: food anywhere nearby
0: here. So many, so many deficiencies in Orlando.
1: Someone's gonna have to mail you the sausage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight.
2: <laughs> Everybody, Wang Chung tonight. <laughs> the movies. <laughs> i'll have what she's having and the parties no one in my family ever drink that's great you probably never run out of ice your whole life
3: because just like you we're stuck in the 80s sure it's not
2: 1985 right now but who knows what tomorrow will bring
3: spears jr Well, oh, hey marty oh i've got one for you knock knock
0: who's there who who who
1: <laughs>
3: brad we've got an owl out here in the hall
1: <laughs> oh marty leave him alone you'll make him tinkle oh
3: come on brad
1: oh steve let me look at you oh marty He's gotten his boobies. What?
3: (laughs) I better go get my magnifying...
2: Jesus Christ, those are huge!
1: And they are so
2: perky!
0: I can't believe my co-hosts actually felt me up.
2: Well, I haven't seen you guys in a while. Do I look any older today? Oh, no, no, I do. not say so. to you. Thanks I do. No. Oh, I hope it isn't cold tomorrow. You say it's your birthday. It's my birthday, too. Don't do that,
3: okay? Would it be possible for you to tell me if they're? the Samantha Baker there, and if so, sir, may I converse with her briefly?
1: Yes, it is, and no, you may not.
3: I don't think you're a dork. I don't think Mom thinks you're a dork.
2: Mike thinks I'm a dork.
3: Mike is a dork.
2: I can't believe this. They f- forgot my birthday. Oh, sexy girlfriend! Manda.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and tonight, after 278 episodes and seven long years, we finally salute 16 Candles.
2: (laughs) Yes, I hate that rock and roll rubbish. Well, I'm afraid it's here to stay, Holly.
0: With me again, he's an oily bohunk who's been in love with Ginny for six whole months in a row. It's Brad in L.A. Sup, dog? (laughs) Really? You're too West Coast for this show. <laughs> and we have a special guest tonight He's the weird Chinaman living in Mike's room Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Marty Yu What's happening, hot stuffs?
3: That was, <laughs> that was for one for each of you uh, appreciated, appreciated Yes uh, So does
0: anyone want to know why the, why the deep dark secret As to why we haven't done 16 Candles In 278 episodes?
1: It does seem like low-hanging fruit For a podcast because called Suck in the
3: 80s It's an incredibly racist movie Is it? Well, We're going to get into we'll that get into it. Yeah,
0: just because uh, because of the Italian remarks, right? Exactly,
3: it's so offensive. Right. the, the uh, culture is the really misrepresented, culture,
0: yeah. right? The, uh, here's the here's the deep, here's the here's the backstory. Basically, uh, years ago, Sean Daly and I did a show on weird science, and it was so poorly received that we sort of decided that it was impossible to tackle comedies. On the podcast anymore because we couldn't be funnier than the actual movie, so basically Daly decided to boycott or blackball any sort of uh, idea of doing any comedies on the show. So we've never covered Fletch, we've never covered Sixteen Candles. So uh,
3: is that how it works now that's, that that uh, you're out of Tampa Bay? You just blame Daly? Is that the the go to?
0: Yeah, blame daily? Yeah, that's pretty much it.
3: All right, all right, I'm so, I'm all for it. Yeah, that's okay. working for me.
0: <laughs> but I mean, but but I feel bad because this is John Hughes's first movie.
3: Uh, A movie.
0: Yeah, right, right. Not, not not his first movie, but the first time he directs. Uh, released on May 4th, 1984. And um,
1: still, still in the pre-PG-13 uh, days, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you, did you see this in the theater? I don't think I probably saw this in the theater.
3: I have to be honest. I um, – be- because of the backlash uh, uh, in the Asian-American community – uh, I did not see it until I worked in a video store in the when I was in college, so I didn't see it till probably like 88. Wow. Yeah.
0: I know I saw it in the theaters, and I remember not knowing who John Hughes was. That was my first. That's the first time I had ever seen John Hughes. It's probably the first time I ever really, I mean, it probably wasn't the first time I saw Molly Ringwell, but probably the first time I remembered seeing her.
1: Yeah, well she's in the first season of Facts of... not right. sorry, not Facts of Life. Um no, yeah, Facts of yeah, Life. Yeah, Facts so, of Life. Yeah. Yeah, but but do you really remember but, her? Yeah, she's just a bit
0: player. But uh, apparently right.
3: uh, she had a very um a very good headshot that inspired John Hughes.
0: Right, he I I think that the, the urban legend is that he had a headshot of her that he pinned it on his bulletin board above his typewriter and she was kind of the inspiration as he wrote a couple of his first screenplays right uh,
3: yeah that's the that's the well this legend. one this yeah. one at
1: least yeah yeah legend
0: yeah i, I think i think and that, and that brings up another point you know some of these answers we'll never get because john hughes passed away and i think maybe part of me never wanted to do this show because you know i still get kind of verklempt thinking about you know john hughes being good, not with us anymore
3: and, and it is such a great premise it's like because back in those days i don't know if it's the same now but Sixteen was such a a momentous year. It's when, you know, sweet sixteen, you get your license. And then the idea of just getting forgotten is, you know, that's every teenager's nightmare.
1: Well, I don't know that it had ever occurred to anybody before this. Like, forget your birth. Your parents forgot your birthday. How's that possible? But when you think about it, when I was
0: watching, I watched the movie just before the podcast tonight. And I'm thinking I could see it suddenly, you know. Thirty years later, is plausible to me that, of course, the family forgot her birthday. Her sister was getting married, uh, which totally, you know, no, it is
3: it, that is totally plausible. Uh, just especially with that sister, you know, sort of high maintenance person, you know.
0: Has, has anyone here had family members forget a birthday? No,
3: I might, I might have done that this year with my mother. I'm sorry, Ma, if you're listening, <laughs> no. she's a big fan. I'm,
1: I'm sure. <laughs>
0: Uh, my sister forgot. usually forgets mine. Does she forget or does she just tell you that she forgot? And she'll call me three days later and say, oh, my God, I forgot to call you on your birthday. I think that's pretty clear.
1: Okay. You're <laughs> giving her credit for that one is what you're saying.
0: That's okay. We talk like once a week. We're not that close. Okay. Once a week, that's that. very
1: – Yeah, I was going to say once a week is pretty close. No, 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 no. Did I say
0: once a week that we – what did I say? You said, you said once said a you week. talk once a week. No, we rarely talk. I'm sorry. We never talk <laughs> once a week. We rarely talk once a week. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry, <laughs> yes. what, what is in your cup, Steve?
0: <laughs> okay, in all fairness, yes, I'm drinking for this podcast. It's, it's, it's two in the morning here in East Coast time. This is the only time that Marty and Brad wanted to record. Yes. Uh, you know. And so I'm drinking some wild turkey.
3: And yeah. it's 11 here, so I've gone through three bottles of, you know, uh, malt liquor. And I got my box wine and my other box wine. <laughs>
0: Do they still sell, uh, they still sell milk, milk, Mickey's uh, malt liquor out in L.A.?
3: Mickey's Wide uh, Mouth, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: If I, When I get out there again, I'd like to have some of that,
1: please. Can you not get that in the Florida? I don't think so. Um,
3: each, not, each, cap don't a, each cap has a little rebus that you can solve. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah I thought exactly. that was Lucky Lager.
3: Oh, you're right. Oh, it is Lucky Lager. Damn it.
0: Anywho, this movie that we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. So, uh, okay. So, only I saw it in the theaters. Marty saw it years later. And I guess we let's just talk about the... Uh, the elephant in the room, um, number one talking point: stereotypes.
3: By the way, uh, that's an Asian elephant, not an African elephant. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: okay, interesting. Go ahead, Marty. What? I, I was not aware of this until much, until much later. <laughs> Probably oh. till I
3: sent an email. in. but uh, <laughs> there, it, no Asian American male went through the '80s without being called Long Duck Dong, and without being. Without hearing the refrain, no more Yankee, my wanky on a daily basis.
2: Oh, no more Yankee, my wanky. The donga need food. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, he's, he's three sheets to the wind. <laughs> he's drunk as a scout. Oh, why don't you shut up, Fred? Wow.
0: Yep. So this is something you experienced then too?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: In but high school? How, how did you respond?
1: Uh, well, if you hadn't seen the movie, how did, I mean, I guess you're aware of it. I was aware of it, but
3: so it was easy for me not to respond. Well, I mean, and I did grow up in, you know, Northern California, which is pretty progressive and full of a lot of Asian people, but it, it still happened. And, you know, I, I was able to, to sort of let that thing slide off my back. But, um, it is funny. I did once, uh, there was a I actually know somebody who knows the, the actor who, who plays, uh, plays Long Duck Dong, Getty Watanabe. And apparently, you know, after that movie, he would get accosted on the street from by Asian Americans who would just, like, rail into him. And he had to change his phone number every couple of years because people would call him and just yell at him for, you know, hours on end. And so he def- definitely suffered for taking that part.
0: But his career, his career kind of took off after that.
3: Well, I mean, he's a, also a really good actor, and, and right. you know, and he he th- he claims like ignorance, like he grew up in Utah, and he wasn't really part of an Asian American community growing up, and so when he took that role, he didn't really think about uh, race being an, an issue. Uh, yeah, that stereotype.
1: That stereotype, being,
3: yeah. yeah, being offensive. Uh, that, that's so he claims, and and uh, you know, and. Truth be told, he's a very nice guy from all accounts, and, and he's a very good actor.
0: I, I just kind of wonder I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here, but I guess I am. I mean, is it possible for an Asian actor to, to play a comedy role where, you know, everyone's being made fun of in this movie? Geeks are being made fun of, jocks are being made fun of. Is there ever a situation where it's okay for an Asian to, to play up the Asian stereotype?
3: Well, the difference here is that up until that point, there were no, there were very few Asian roles, Asian male roles that were in media up until that point, and so you know you've got Mickey Rooney in in Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, uh, which yeah. which, is, <laughs> you know, which is that's pretty bad, which is really bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, and you've got it. like all these white guys playing Asian roles, and then the the one time we get an Asian guy in a role, you know, a, a very prominent that, role.
1: Yeah, that isn't Quincy's lab assistant.
3: Well, but, but that was that was a <laughs> Sam was a very that was a good role. That was a very positive role model. And sure. Then, and then Jack Ito and Barney Miller, but then you get this guy, and he's the one who sticks in the the cultural zeitgeist, and like it was you know, it, it it was painful, you know, it was very, it, it, it sucked, you know, uh, it, it was either that or Bruce Lee, you know? So it's like,
1: uh, Yeah. And at least Bruce Lee could, you know, kick some butt. Right. Exactly. So,
0: so, so what was your reaction then when you saw it for the first time?
3: That it was an incredibly offensive portrayal. And, uh, and but, but again, like you're right. Like they make fun of the jocks. They make fun of the geeks. They make fun of, you know, pretty people, but this, there are plenty of jocks and geeks and, and pretty people in other roles where they're doing positive things. So this being the only role in film where there's a prominent Asian character who's right. not, you know, Bruce Lee, it was, you know, it was kind of sucked. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I'm an actor myself. I understand that roles are few and far between, and you're going to take the role because if you don't, somebody else is going to take the role.
1: Yeah, it's going to get done. Right. You know, And you would like to buy groceries, so. Do, do you think that in a way – Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Did did Getty Watanabe sort
0: of – I mean from the roles that he took on after this movie, Volunteers um, came after, uh, Gung Ho, do you think he absolved himself – with those future roles? Do you think he was more careful going into the future because of the reaction to 16 Candles?
3: Uh, did you see House Party 2?
0: <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> um,
3: I think that was probably more offensive to the, the gay community than it was to the Asian American community. Uh, actually, it's funny. I, he was once on Loveline, this radio show, and I, and I actually called in and asked him what roles he were, was proud of, and he did say gung-ho. And that role is, you know, it, I, I don't... I, I know it's a you know people love that movie and, and I like the movie but and he was good in it and uh, I thought that was interesting that he was that that's the role that he was most proud of you know in the this was a few years ago.
0: I love visiting with a grandma and a grandpa and
2: writing letters to parents and <clears throat> pushing lawn mowing machines so grandpa's hyena don't get disturbed.
0: Hernia. <laughs> well, there's other talking points here. Um, Molly Ringwald becomes a star because of this movie, and she also became one of the faces of the decade. But did any of you really get a crush on her after this particular movie? No,
1: no. She seemed very you know normal, girl next door kind of. You know, there, there's no no spark.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with Brad on this one. I mean, she was. I, I think she represented like. Girls that I knew, but not girls that I lusted after, and you know, I, I first knew her really from Breakfast Club from '86. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, and she wasn't the one that I I you know had the crush on.
0: Was Was there ever any movie of hers that either one of you really thought, um, oh, that's the chick I want to be with?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me let me be real direct. No, <laughs> N- not even <laughs> when I fi- when I finally saw Pretty in Pink a couple years ago. I'm like, really? No, not even Wild
3: Horses. Is
0: that- I was gonna mention. Is it Wild Horses <laughs> or Fresh Horses? Oh, Fresh know. Horses. I don't know. Yeah, fresh Horses. Horse, that's awful. That's awful. I, or the Pickup Artist with Robert Downey
1: Jr. Oh, no, yeah,
0: <laughs> please
1: make it stop. No, but
3: I, I, she was like poised to be a big star. Like she turned down Pretty Woman and and. You know, do you think she would have succeeded at Pretty Woman?
0: I don't know. I mean, that's a uh, great script with with a great director. I mean, it had everything going for it. I don't think she would have failed per se.
3: I think she was a, a product of the '80s, and she represented the decade well. And yes, and but not yeah, ne- not necessarily a sex symbol.
1: Yeah, I don't have a problem with Molly Ringwald. I just never was like, oh, Molly Ringwald. Let me get that poster.
0: If, if you left it after one woman in 16 Candles, which one would it have been
1: then? Brad? Well, it would it would have to be the crazy prom queen, of course. Really? Well, I don't know. Who else is there? There's, what other female characters are there? The well, Lump I
3: mean, There's the older sister. The older oh, sister is
1: available to you? She's crazy. <laughs> Maybe I like <laughs> I'm crazy. <getting> married, Brad. <laughs> uh, let's see, eighteen, coming on nineteen years. Jesus, mm-hmm. um,
3: well, it's interesting. the The woman who who played her um, is uh, Blanche Baker, and uh, she has the same name as the Baker family. But she, oh, you're right. But she was uh, Carol Baker's, or she is Carol Baker's daughter, who, who is also an Oscar-nominated actress. Who is in Baby Doll? Anybody? Baby doll? Okay. But uh, um, no. I right. heard of it. All right. But anyhow, she the, uh
0: I think I would have gone with uh Molly Ringwald's friend, like the dark haired curly. Oh, thing. Randy. Is that what her name is? Yeah. Well, you know, research would have probably answered a lot of these questions for me.
3: Well, you know, I, I chose
0: I chose not to go that way.
3: <laughs> but well you did just post on the on the blog the the pretty and I mean the sixteen candles uh test where you take the test and uh it matches you with a character. Right. And I'm I matched with Randy. Well, I,
1: I think the way that quiz is set up, that if you answer in a path that isn't like prescribed to a single character, there's like, we don't know who you are. You're Randy.
0: Well,
1: yeah, I got Bryce.
0: I'm feeling uncomfortable Bryce. right now that
3: you lust after Randy. You were a female? And I'm a Randy.
2: Uh,
0: uh, hmm. you're, you're a good-looking man, Marty. You. You're not making it this easier. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Bryce. I'm the character played by John Cusack, which I'm okay with. Uh, Brad, did you take the test?
1: I did not take the quiz. Unfortunately, uh, I have been quite busy at work, and my uh, idle surfing time has been limited. Actually, you can see me in this movie if you. When they're
0: panning down all the geeks at the dance, I, I, I was watching this really carefully earlier, looking for like my doppelganger there. And halfway down the way, you see a guy who uh, is wearing like a, a concert jersey, you know, like uh, with the long baseball sleeves. Mm-hmm. He's got his hair parted in the middle. With big thick glasses on, and he's playing like a Mattel football game. I swear to God! <laughs> <spinning> into- <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: you didn't have the ColecoVision Vision one, Mike. If I could show you a, a, a yearbook photo of me, like in eighth grade, you would just be dumbfounded that that had to be me.
3: That somehow I
0: was CGI'd into this movie.
3: So, um, how, how did um, John Hughes get that job? Like, was did he intend to be a you know, he, was, he had been screenwriting for a while. He's done some writing, yeah. And, you know, he, did, yeah, he worked with uh, uh, National Lampoon, and then he does this teen thing.
0: Well, he had Nat and Hayes in between, remember? Never forget Nat and Hayes. I forgot. Am I the only one who knows that movie? I think you uh, are. I am unfamiliar. It's uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it, and uh, who, who else? Uh, Mike, not Michael McKeon. Michael guy O'Keefe? Michael O'Keefe. Uh, are both in it? They're pirates. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean before Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a fantastic movie, and I think I don't think he he obviously didn't direct it, but he wrote it, and it, it bears no resemblance whatsoever to any John Hughes movie except for that it's excellent. If it's available, rent it. I know I know I've our, read our three part retrospective yeah. will be coming up next this month. Is, this, this podcast will last forty five hours. The, um, I remember reading somewhere though that he had already written Breakfast Club and he wanted to do that one first. But the studio said, "No way we don't know who you are you know give us show a something yeah show me something so he was forced to do sixteen candles first and then, and then breakfast club immediately afterwards
1: well and I think it shows that it's a freshman effort in some ways like some of the like there you just watched it I just watched it last night went through it and there's a lot of reliance on just kind of dippy sound effects cues well every character like
3: has their own sound effect you know
1: yeah and it, the movie starts with the submarine like danger noises you're like what? what 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 are we doing here well it's a little it's a little it's a little <laughs> sticky well he did
3: you know john hughes came from you know he wrote on delta house and he wrote uh, a couple national lampoon movies so he came from a like a a very broad sketch comedy background, kind of. And then he goes in... And and
1: that carries over.
0: Yeah. Right. There's no nuance here. I mean, this is a straight on... I think as it goes on...
1: We're going to show you the breasts. Let me throw in the boing noise. (laughs)
0: And and, and something else I know is, too, there's profanity in this movie, which in a normal John Hughes movie, there's not. He he rarely ever drops the F-bomb.
2: But I hear it a couple times
0: here. Uh, maybe like in a couple of the big scenes, but for the most part, he preferred not to. Interesting.
2: I'm sorry, but Jake Ryan, he's a senior and he's taken. I mean, really taken. No, he's It's supposed to be my ideal. He's ideal, for sure, but forget it. God, I hope whoever got the note doesn't know it was me who wrote it. Shit twice and died.
0: I want to spend some time and talk about Jake Ryan because, uh, you know, I've made my bread and butter over the years, talk comparing uh, Jake Ryan with Lloyd Dobler as far as being the two most perfect boyfriends of the 80s. And I think a lot of us here agree that Jake Ryan wasn't so perfect after all.
1: Yeah, that's not a contest. That's not a fair fight.
3: Yeah, Jake Ryan was kind of a dullard. Like, he just sort of mopes the entire movie in his little, you know, Argyle sweater.
1: Well, and, uh, you know, is he really interested in Samantha before he finds the note? <laughs> Good point. We're and he dumps, and he dumps his girlfriend. <laughs> he dumps his girlfriend for her. you know. What I mean, he, he doesn't even dump her. He just closes the door on her hair, and then he <laughs> trades her for a pair of used underwear. I mean, that's creepy.
0: And, and he doesn't
3: tell his girlfriend that like he's moved on.
0: Yeah, he kind of he kind of gives her the guilt trip at the end of the movie because he finds her with uh, Farmer Ted. Yeah. I'm like, dude, your only reason you're there is because you're scamming after the bridesmaid, and you're looking for the Rolls Royce. Right. I guess he could report it stolen. So, but, but I think what every, what every female, um, all seven listeners, um, are attached to is they love that ending. Yeah, we're down to four after that diatribe. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, but it had to be said. They yeah, love it's a little rapey. Ending. It's a little love-
1: rapey when he hands off his girlfriend to now, his drunk girlfriend to some <laughs> stranger. No, no, no. He
3: does say, she's passed out in my bedroom. I could violate her if I want.
1: So
0: he's a, he's a good guy. 20 different ways. Violate her 20 different ways, he says. Yeah. So, yeah. so he I'm is... the bad guy. I'm the bad guy for saying there's no rape and seeing him was fire.
3: <laughs> Jake Wright is the perfect boyfriend because he doesn't rape her. That's why.
1: <laughs> he just makes her available to others. <laughs> right. oh, he says. So I'm sorry. I take it back. It's not rapey. <laughs> rapey. It's pimpy. Right.
3: He says, all right, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, you can rape her. No, he doesn't say that.
1: Not in so many words. Well,
3: no. He says that he has to get her home in one piece. Uh, But no, uh, Jake Ryan, I think he's a good actor. I like the guy, and he's a handsome fellow. But he just was not that interesting a a character.
1: Well, I wonder if some of the kind of mystique around the Jake Ryan character is because the Michael Schroding
3: has kind of
1: disappeared off the face of the earth, right? Well, he makes furniture. yeah, but you know, everyone's like, "Oh, we're looking for, we're trying to get an interview with him, but no one can track him down and his family won't help us." So I wonder if that doesn't contribute somewhat to the mystique.
0: He's not well, like I think he's still he, good.
3: He's not like JD Salinger where where like he, he people know where he is, he just doesn't give interviews.
0: Right. And I got to admit, I would love to talk to him. I mean, but if he doesn't want to talk about it, then he doesn't want to talk about it.
1: Well, you probably want to talk to him about Vision Quest as much as you want to talk to him about this,
3: is, right? Well,
0: that's not going to make him that much more open.
3: He's great <laughs> in Vision Quest. He's like the—he's so
1: much better in
0: Vision he's Quest. He's
3: awesome. That's a great movie. The
1: other—the other fun Jake Ryan fact is, uh, and I—I just saw this the other day. The other actor considered for the part who tested for it that uh, Molly Ringwald really liked was
3: Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, really. Yeah, so in the in the audition, like they they did a, a like you know screen test with both of them. Uh, Vigo kissed her, and Michael <laughs> did not. And uh, she says <laughs> that that she. So got- there you go. He's the perfect boyfriend. He's chased.
0: <laughs> not rapey at all. He
3: was more interested in Farmer Ted. Neither <laughs> rapey nor pimpy. God. i just kept thinking that when they kiss over the the flaming birthday cake that they're gonna light some like their chins on fire oh their
1: chins are on fire <laughs> all right brother. it's a it's that's a cardboard cake
0: i don't know if you knew that
3: what, it's what?
0: cardboard hollywood it's cardboard. lies <laughs> Hollywood lies. um farmer ted they'd they sit on a table of lies <laughs> farmer ted um played by uh Michael Anthony Hall or Anthony Michael Hall or Hall Anthony Michael. Tony um, Mike Hall.
3: That's what we call him in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, Tony do Mike.
0: You, do you really?
1: <laughs> yeah. Every day when I see him down at the commissary. The L.A. commissary. He serve, he's, the one serve,
0: he's the one serving you coffee.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. No, he's clearing the tables. Come oh, on, man. Bite your okay. tongues. So, Well, the, uh, I love this character.
0: I do. He's built only as the nerd. I'm not so sure where the Farmer Ted came in.
1: He calls himself that. I know, but I Do don't know why. Do they ever explain What's it? No,
0: Not really. Which is fine. That's okay. A Little color. I know, but I had to watch it five times before I kind of caught on to that. And I love how um, in the
3: opening credits they say "and Ma- Anthony Michael Hall as the geek." Right. It's it's like I, it, it's great.
0: I remember reading somewhere with that um, for the auditions for this, um, everybody came in and tried to play up the geek character. And 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 he came in and basically just said he just was himself, and that's what Hughes was drawn to. And I also know that among the other people who applied for it or auditioned for it, I keep wanting to say applied. I don't know why. Auditioned Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Really? Huh. So, so I have to ask Marty because you're a professional actor. Have you ever auditioned for any roles that were later made famous by somebody else?
3: Um.
1: What about Corpse Number Three?
0: Yeah, the,
3: yeah. <laughs> do you remember in the seventh season of CSI, there was Corpse Number Three, and boy, that went to Anthony Michael Hall. That. F- <laughs> oh, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that I've, I've only been. I do like commercials, and I do waiters, I do doctors on on uh, you know, uh, Grey's Anatomy, and no, I'm a journeyman. So, yeah.
0: So you yearn for the day when you can audition for a role that is
1: later made famous by somebody else.
3: I dare to dream. Dare to dream. Yeah.
1: So I got a theory about Farmer Ted. Go ahead. I think Farmer Ted, when he gets to college, is going to have more action than he can handle. Really? Yeah, I do. And Here, I'll give you my, my, I don't know how many points you'll have time to stand listening to. But first one, the big one is he's not afraid of rejection. And that... You know they always, the the kind of standard sales trope. You know, you want to double your success rate, double your failure rate. You, know, you got to be if if you want if you want success, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And he just does it over and over and over. You can't win right? if you don't play. That's right. right. You got to you got to get up to the plate with the bat on your shoulder. Buy a ticket, take the ride. <laughs> yeah, he, he can hold his own. You know, he's in the conversation with the senior. He's not flustered by it. He's in a conversation where people are trying to get rid of him, and he's you know like, can I tell you something? He's not if you're going to insult me. You know he's he's rolling with it. He knows the situation, but he's he's ready with it. He's confident. He's confident exactly. And here's the here's the key. And I didn't pick this up until I was older. He knows how to entertain. You know, when he gets when Jake pulls him out of the coffee table, they're in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, and he's making martini. No, he does more than he, entertain. He, he
3: he knows how to make a martini. He doesn't. Yeah, he well. knows how to
1: make a martini. And this is before the cocktail culture even was on anybody's radar, right? So he, he does the glass. He, he shakes it, he pours it, he garnishes it. He hands it to him. He gives him a cocktail napkin. He offers him the bowl of peanuts. Would you have even bothered to open your date's wine cooler, I ask you, <laughs> Mr. Spears? Um, I have very
0: slippery hands, and you know that I'm very sensitive about that. Um, the one thing I noticed tonight was that he does take the olive and kind of uh, coats the interior of the glass with it, which I've yeah. never seen done before. Yeah. Uh, I actually
1: learned something
3: from tonight very good from a freshman in high school
1: yeah and
3: the last point
1: the last point is he has tasted success yeah he betted the prom queen true enough and the rumor the rumor is gonna be out that he was with two women that night so you know I I think it's all going the right direction for (laughs) Farmer Ted wait a
3: minute you know black and white it would just capture the moment so nicely oh
2: you take the picture already you're pissing me off I'm telling you it's my pumpkin what Oh, victory! Cheers!
3: One of the issues I have with the movie is that the pacing is very awkward. Like, I really feel like, like this movie is a proving ground for um, for Ferris Bueller because there are the weird sound effects, they're, they're very, you know, these comic takes, and then, right. but the pacing is a Lots little... Lots of different sets. Yeah, but it's a little slower and more awkward, and in Ferris Bueller, it just goes, like, smoothly and it's you know I've seen that over and over again and it holds up this I think holds up a little less
0: I would agree with that I don't think the acting is as good as we, th- we think it is either uh, true I think if you go back and look at it now you Michael Scheffling looks like a deer in headlights half it's, the time it's
2: very yeah it's no you pronounced it wrong
0: it's <laughs> Dr. Hafar
3: but, but interesting you should say that because there are two Oscar nominees in this film can you name them
0: uh, Paul Dooley.
3: Nope. No? Really? He's not an Oscar Ray nominee. Ray Fond. Ray Fond! That's one of my favorite Ray movies Fond? of all time.
1: Oscar nominees, I'm going to go... I'm guessing it's Grandparents. Uh, Edward Andrews? Nope. No? Uh, I will tell
3: you. Th- please There's do. A, a two-time nominee, Joan Cusack. Oh, good
1: one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's nominated
3: for Working Girl and something else. And uh, also Justin Henry, who plays the younger brother...
1: Oh, yeah, Kramer versus Kramer. There you
3: go. Holy crap! That's the kid from yeah, Kramer yeah. That's the kid Kramer? from Kramer versus Kramer. And he, oh my
1: god! He, and that was as good as it got for him. <laughs>
3: yeah. No, he's continued god. to to act through the years, and and he's done some writing and directing, I, I believe, and, and producing. But he was. Yeah, but now
1: he's out of the business, isn't he?
3: Uh, I don't believe so. But he is very funny in that movie. <laughs>
2: I don't suppose it makes any difference to you, but there's a very weird Chinese guy up in Mike's room. Jenny dumped He's room fiance. Mike, stop it.
3: Um, compared to what he is in Kramer versus Kramer, where you're just so, uh, you know, it's such a soulful, sad creature, and here he's just like an asshole. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, your basic younger brother trope. Yeah, he I mean, plays his. But brother. that's
3: why he gets second billing because he was an Oscar nominee.
1: I wondered why.
3: Uh, I I saw the name and I'm like I don't get that. Yeah, and, and in fact, he last played uh, Dr. Lewis in Brothers and Sisters in 2010. Jeez. Yeah, What when my
1: research told me that he is a, now considers himself a new media businessman and was a sales director for an internet television and streaming media site.
3: Nice work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess. Did you know that Carlin Glynn won a Tony Award in 79? What? The mom, Brenda Baker, oh. won a Tony Award. And do you know who her daughter is? No. Mary Stuart Masterson. Wow.
3: What? Do you do you think she on the set she said, Mr. Hughes, you have to meet my daughter?
1: She's She's a drummer.
3: <laughs> we gave her a male's
0: middle name. <laughs> we we mentioned Paul Dooley there for a second. I want to go into him for a second. What what is the better Paul Dooley movie? Paul Dooley as a dad, is it, is it Breaking Away or is it 16 Candles? Breaking Away.
3: I mean, he's great in this yeah. movie because he's the, he's the heart of this movie. When he apologizes to, to Molly Ringwald's character, like it's, it's a, such a sweet, sweet moment. But he gets to do so much more in Breaking Away.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: I would Right. Agree. And let me ask you this. Is this the first and is this the only time that John Hughes ever wrote a touching moment between a parent and an offspring?
3: Oh, my goodness.
1: I th- I think it is. Because parents are not really present in John Hughes' movies. And if they are, they're, they're so broadly pictures. painted. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look
3: Even at this- Home Alone and Dutch and, like, all these movies, they're, they're terrible parents in all of these movies.
1: Right. And he's terrible for most of it before he kind of snaps out of it. Well, yeah, that scene uh- – you know that that's seen a different effect on me now. I have thirteen-year-old twins. There, there's a fact for the listeners: um, boy, girl, which we'll call the boy and the girl. <laughs> and <clears throat> talking to my daughter about, you know, that kind of stuff is starting. Right? I talk to my daughter, you know, are there any boys you like, and it's, you know, it's the same thing where you know, like Paul Dooley's character, he knows that it's an awkward conversation. But he's going to try and have it anyway, and I find myself like, "Yeah, this is just what you have to do. You have to try and like put something out there." So, you know, at this point, my daughter had the the classic line a couple months ago when school started, and I said to her, "So, the girl, are there any uh, you know any cute boys in school?" And she just looks at me with this utter contempt in her eyes and says yeah Dad, but they're all idiots
3: well, here <laughs> that's not gonna <laughs> like, change like thank God so, yeah. here's my question like have you shown boy or girl the the um the John Hughes Canon?
1: They have seen Ferris Bueller. they have not seen sixteen candles,
3: so just just
1: just the one
0: does that is it because yeah. of the nudity you don't want to show them the nudity,
1: yeah, and there's just I don't know there's a lot going on there uh, I, I probably have earned earned my reputation as a relatively protective parent. But I just I don't know. I, I can't imagine sitting on the couch watching sixteen candles with my kids.
3: But when you <laughs> when you were thirteen, um what I mean, had you seen boobies in, in movies before?
1: When I was thirteen in nineteen forty seven. Um I don't think so. No. I'm pretty sure I had. I'm pretty sure I'd seen
0: when I was thirteen that would have been nineteen eighty. I would have seen um, Caddyshack.
1: I mean, I, I lived in a small town in western Oklahoma. When I was a kid, we had one movie screen in the town. so And I guess the drive-in, but you know, I wasn't going out to the drive-in because I didn't have a car. So I don't know that I would have had much exposure to that. Yeah,
3: yeah. Logan's Run for me, I remember those. That...
1: Oh, yeah. Jenny... yeah. See, I would have seen that on TV.
3: Jenny Agater.
1: God, I, lo- I love that movie. I have it
0: on DVD around here somewhere. <laughs> Hey, no, uh, no uh, conversation with John Hughes movie is complete without talking about the music and the soundtrack. And so it goes without saying that the 16 Candles is a little unique in the sense that there was a soundtrack, a mini album that was released, but it only had five songs on it. The film actually contains thirty songs.
3: It's full of music, and the soundtrack does not—that they released does not do the film justice at all.
0: No, it really doesn't. You could kind of release two CDs now and still not cover all the music. Does anybody have like a favorite uh, deep movie cut?
3: Well, I mean, I'm a huge specials fan, so I love that they—they they did little bitch, but. I was my eyes were open when I saw it again with the Thompson Twins songs at the end that's a great song I was I was like what is that song and then I was I, I was surprised that it was Thompson Twins it's a great song if you I could to see you.
1: You shouldn't be surprised. The Thompson Twins are great. Yeah. Are there bad Thompson Twin songs? I've kind of seen really. I don't think there is. But there aren't. All right. But that is a great song. I love that song. You're and and it is. It's kind of of the movie. You know. You hear that yeah. song, you think of the movie. Um, Lighting yourself on <laughs> fire, kissing
0: the a <laughs> cardboard cake, burning your cardboard chin. cake. Um, I love the, uh, I mean, the main title song. Um, uh, put a bit of trivia there. that's actually performed by Kaja Gugu, and the name of the song is it's "Kaja Gugu." <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's an instrumental. Where towards the end, they they kind of spell out the name of the song, but that's about it.
3: Well, I think I know why you guys haven't done this this uh, this movie before on the on the podcast is because of the school dance song.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the one that, that jumped out to me that I liked and had to kind of track down what it was is Rev Up by the Reveos. And that plays when uh, LDD and Marlene slash Lumberjack are driving to uh, the party. And so I lu- I spun that up this afternoon. I was listening to the one Reveos album I could find online. And a yeah, little goes a long way, but uh, it's, that's a cool song.
2: Shall we become-
3: Uh, One of the reasons why the soundtrack is is so remarkable for this film is because the music supervisor was Jimmy um, Iovine, I think, or Iovine, who started Interscope Records. And this was the first film that he was the music supervisor on. I didn't know that. Yeah, and he got some great, great music on it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of front and center. You know, a lot of times in a a movie, and if it's in a scene, it's kind of buried under the dialogue. You don't hear it, but it's used to good effect. In this, I
0: I almost think it's almost used as a punchline half the time. Um, Well, it is
1: the music cues for Peter Gunn, and you know, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, even even um, turning Japanese by the vapors. How dare you!
3: No, that was when, I didn't say That
0: was my favorite song. That was another movie um, that go-
3: that was uh, taunted me in my in my adolescence.
0: So here's my theory about the ending of a of a John Hughes movie. Um, to me, the genius of any John Hughes flick is the ending. The movies always seem to go a little haywire towards the end. Like at Sixteen Candles, so, I mean something 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 in, uh, improbable always happens that just kind of throws off the reality of things. Um, Sixteen Candles, Ted gets the prom queen. And Ferris Bueller, uh, Cameron wrecks the car. In Breakfast Club, they start fighting amongst each other. Um, but he always manages to wrap them up with some sort of amazing bow. Um, 16 Candles, obviously you have the, the the birthday cake scene. Ferris, you know, he, uh, Rooney gets his comeuppance. Breakfast Club, you have the reading of the letter in the final stadium shot. Um, is this the best ending of any John Hughes movie? Or is it Breakfast Club? I think I prefer The Breakfast Club. I think
3: The Breakfast Club... Uh, hit me more as a teenager, you know, like that—that that was more realistic. Is that you yeah? Know, uh, like you go your separate ways, and we'll see what happens when we cross each other in the hallways later.
1: Well, and it—it it kind of touches on everybody too. And in Sixteen Candles, it's—I I mean, I guess you know, yeah. It's the main storyline is about Samantha, but. And you get it. she gets a nice ending, but what happens to everybody else? Mm. Yeah, yeah, we don't really know.
3: It, it, it's a, it's like a good. This is was his shot as a, as a director, so he made a very you know contained movie that tied up nicely and you know didn't have a the same complexity that were that was in his later movies.
0: Right, right, and I always maintain that one of the reasons we've never done this as a podcast is because there are too many favorite lines. And 16 Candles. In fact, you could probably do a top 10 list of every character and their favorite lines. But if you each could pick one favorite line from 16 Candles that you're going to wed yourself to, what would it be?
1: Mm. I think I'm going to go with one of uh, the little brother's best lines as he's sitting in the kitchen.
2: This is the single worst day of my entire life. The hell are you bitching about? I'm going to sleep under some Chinaman named after a duck stork. Where am I sleeping? Sofa City, sweetheart.
1: I actually say that anytime anyone's sleeping on my couch. No one ever gets it, but I say it every <laughs> time.
0: That's a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to go with one from uh, Farmer Ted when um, he's trying to calm down Bryce and his brother.
2: Ted, won't we get pounded if we go to a senior apartment? We so we got seventy dollars. We got a pair of girls' underpants. We're safe as kittens. Okay. This is a great social opportunity for us. Come on!
3: That's a good one. Uh, That's yep. quality. I, I'm gonna go with Brad and say that, like Mike Baker, the, the the brother, younger brother, is my favorite character in in the movie because he's so unrepentant about being a douchebag, uh, <laughs> and 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 also knowing him, you know, being. C- going from Kramer versus Kramer to this, like, he deserved that Oscar nomination, and we should see him more.
0: I don't know if you know if I can pronounce it today after all this wild turkey, but you want to know what my favorite two word line is? The, the seggies. seggies. Ah, the mystical refrain of Reader Ball Bag. I mean, Mail Bag. And uh, with Marty Yu being the professional actor. What, me? We've
1: asked him. Yes. Dr. Jones? <laughs>
2: You cheated, Dr. Spears.
1: No time for love, Marty Yu. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: so Marty Yu, no time for love. Read uh, read the letter. All you. right. Who's it from?
3: This, this letter is from Lisa Davis Walker. And she uh, wrote a very lengthy email that was really about you guys. So it goes like this. Dear Stuck in the 80s guys, it was with great relief that I noticed the two New Era podcasts in my iTunes the other day. I was concerned that my computer knowledge would be too limited to be able to figure it out and that I'd miss all the new podcasts. I was able to listen to the two latest podcasts back to back today, and I was relieved to hear that all is still well in the stuck in the 80s land. I'll admit that I fell for your sappy fake ending in the last studio podcast and got a little choked up thinking that I wouldn't have the podcasts to look forward to anymore. Uh, (laughs) While I definitely miss Sean Daly, Brad is doing a great job, and I think that your new stuck-in, Stuck in the 80s Segi, will help us transition into the new era. However, I do have a concern about the new era podcasts. One of the reasons why we we in Stuck in the 80s Nation love the podcast so much is that over the years, we've gotten to know all of you and participate in some small way in your lives. I have to say that the two latest podcasts were a little lacking, so PPTMN. Steve, how is the move to Orlando and how is your new job working out? How is Sean dealing with life in Tampa without you? Will he be a guest co-host sometime in the near future? Surely you can three-way Skype. Yeah, I don't know if Sean is capable of that. Um, And can we get a picture of Brad up on the Facebook page or blog and maybe with a Stevie Nicks concert t-shirt? Thank you for sticking with the podcast. I love being stuck in the 80s. Thank you, Lisa Davis Walker. That's nice.
2: That's
1: a great it's letter. It's a
3: fantastic letter.
1: And it was a hybrid segment, too, because it's a letter that bridges into another segment.
0: They could have almost been a stuck in the, stuck in the 80s seggy, which we don't have this episode. What? So if you were waiting for that, if you're waiting for that, turn it off now.
1: Yeah, it's Steve's fault. Nah. Um, he mixed it at the last minute.
0: <laughs> so how was the move to Orlando? Uh, I guess I've been here two and a half months now. And all I know is that there are no fast food restaurants between me and my job, which is a good and bad thing. Good thing, and that and that there are three liquor stores on my way to my job, which is a good and bad thing.
1: <laughs> good thing. Yeah, Marty <laughs> speaks for the tribe.
0: Um, no, yeah. So now I'm still um, I'm still the digital content director for Bonnier.
3: What does that mean?
0: Uh, Bonnier is a uh, Swedish company. That publishes about 50 magazines, and I'm over the travel group, which is uh, Islands Magazine, Florida Travel and Life, and Destination Weddings and Honeymoons. And um, so I just basically take care of their editorial strategy on a digital standpoint for those uh, three magazines now. And it's been fun. You know, I, I go home pretty much to Tampa Bay every weekend or every other weekend. And when I don't, my girlfriend uh, comes over here. She and I just celebrated two years together last Congratulations. weekend.
3: Congratulations.
1: Nice, congratulations!
3: And I, and I can I can vouch for her that she has a wonderful speaking voice, and it's mellifluous, and just she's a, she's a charmer.
0: <laughs> and she she wants no part of ever being on this podcast. Good so. good for
3: her, smart lady. <laughs> I tried to do that, but she they drag li- you again.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we really had to work hard on that too.
0: So, and how is Sean dealing with life in Tampa? I don't know. I don't. He- maybe every every other week or so he'll text me something and it'll be kind of so, something about let's we need to get the podcast back together i mean this from a man who does not have a home computer and does not have home internet access so the, so how he can skype in with us is beyond me
1: and did we did we put a photo of Brad on the facebook page already there, You know, there are some lurking around there. There's uh, some really charming ones from me in high school that are, that are in the, like, pictures of our fans. And then there was at least – I know there was a picture that you put up there when we were – that my wife took while we were recording the first one. I'm sitting here on my couch. It's very exciting. Well, here's,
3: here's <laughs> my question, and I'm sure that all of the stuck in the 80s nation is on pins and needles wanting to know the answer. Have you been to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter?
0: I have, yeah. And? In New York City. I loved it. Brad got me in there.
3: Wait.
0: Um, oh, I think he's talking about the. I think he's talking about the Universal theme park. Oh, you're not talking about the exhibit in Times Square. Okay. Um. Yeah, I have been there. Um. I went there last last winter before I moved here. I know that was the butter beer. It's it tastes like um cream soda. Yeah. Right? Doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty nasty. I mean, I don't know. It sounds awful. It's it's hor- It's it's beautiful. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter is. I mean, it's just. Dead on what Hogwarts would look like if you were there. They even have a restaurant that you go to for. Bre- uh, it serves all English food, so if you go there for breakfast, it's like you know blood pudding and uh, blood sausage and you know everything else, be- You know beans and toast. The whole nine yards is pretty authentic. Sliced tomatoes. Uh, maybe. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do they remember. have spotted dick?
0: <laughs> uh, I don't remember there being any dick there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Yeah,
0: I live about 30 minutes from Disney. I'm a little north of Disney, so I don't have to face the traffic around that place too often, but it's a nightmare whenever I drive by it. I bet. Which is often, and I have annual passes, so I go there all the time. And um, uh, once you're there, it's fine, but getting there is a nightmare. Fair enough. So yeah. there you go.
1: As for a picture of me and a Stevie Nicks concert T-shirt, Not happening without Photoshop. (laughs) Yeah. And since I'm the one who usually does the crummy photoshops for the page, then it probably won't happen. Probably not. Brad,
3: I will lend you my shirt.
0: Do you have one, Marty?
1: As
3: far as you know. Okay.
0: So I just interrupted a comic moment.
3: You can edit that out. Has
1: the booze become a uh, deterrent here? (laughs) No. No, I'm I'm chained to my microphone. I can't even go freshen my drink.
0: That's why I brought my alcohol to the microphone. Well, that shows your experience. If you want to send us a reader email, please do so. The address is s i t 80s at gmail.com.
2: What's happening, hot stuff?
0: Ah, by the sound of the gong and by Marty's rage. Oh!
1: No. Oh, just want to
0: reach it <laughs> out. It's time for. Of that
2: <laughs> you children, Dark <they're> Despairs!
0: <laughs> it's time for a mystery movie moment. I have totally forgot. This is from uh, 16 Candles. I defend it to my dying breath. Um, as usual, we will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you can get it right, uh, we've got nothing to give you other than our love. And uh, Brad will say your name lovingly. Uh, pay attention. Here's the clip from the last show.
1: It is important to remember the true meaning of Christmas.
0: Yeah, Scrooge from our Christmas show. Duh, Scrooge. <laughs> oh. That's how long ago we podcasted.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time. We've got to pick up the pace. Alright, we're gonna do our uh, we're gonna do our Thanksgiving
0: show next week, so it'll be fine.
1: Yeah. So winners include Alex Peter, Rob Knott, Tim in Harrisburg, presumably that's PA, Duh. Kevin Wench, Scott in New Hampshire, Pinhead, and Chris M from just south of Shermer, Illinois. Pay attention. Here's this
0: week's mystery clip.
2: And walk! And walk!
0: If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com. And tune in next week to find out if Marty U calls you a... Wiener? Ah, the mystical refrain of Name That 80s Tune. As usual, we'll play you a clip from a song from the 80s. I can't guarantee you that it's not a clip we didn't play before, because after 278 episodes, I'm running out of songs, okay? The record-keeping is not what it could be. (laughs) There's no spreadsheet. I mean, I only just now downloaded Office the other day, so I mean, I'm still trying to learn to use I it. I blame Daily. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's this year. That's this week's T-shirt. It was either that or it's not rapey. It's <laughs> pimpy, and I think I blame Daily is probably better slogan wise.
0: I tell you, if all Daily did was keep track of the Segi winners, that would have been a huge improvement over his work production. Anyway, pay attention. Here's the last shows mystery tune. That's Rush Hour by Jane Weedland.
1: This week's winners include Stuart O'Neill in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Charles from Yorktown, Virginia.
3: Two? Which Charles from Yorktown, Virginia?
1: The one that knows that that song is Jane Wheatland's Rush Hour?
3: Oh, that Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the good one. I, I'm down.
1: Yeah. This is a great song, and I'm sad that more people didn't get it right.
3: Uh, I did go see the Go-Go's in the, this uh, summer, and or this, this fall, and... They are still fantastic. If you ever get a chance to see them, see them.
1: Yeah, that was a great concert. Although I have to say that seeing that set made me realize why Jane Wheedland did so much solo stuff and she's the talent duets and things because she's bored to death up there playing rhythm guitars with the go-go. Well, I think she
3: had a huge hand in writing a lot of that stuff.
1: Well, that's true, but her part in playing the songs is just you know she's playing the chords.
3: So she didn't get any solos for anybody who happens to. <laughs> listen to the show and remembers me from it. I did actually ask out the woman who was behind me and she did think I was gay. And then we did go out for a few months, but we no longer are going out.
0: Is that true? You, Uh, the the woman who thought you were gay, you actually went out with for a couple months.
3: Uh, yeah. So we, we just, uh, we just ended things this past weekend.
0: I feel bad now. I feel like I'm prolonging your agony.
3: No, it's
0: okay. So how did you get her number? So she thought you were gay, but you still somehow got her number that night.
3: Yes. You know, when you you pretend you're gay, you can get any information from any woman. I did not know that. No, it's true. That's a
0: pro tip for our listeners. (laughs) The sexually ambiguous uh, crowd that follows Stuck in the 80s, there you go.
3: Right. I seemed harmless, but it turns out I was a sexual predator turned out you were very harmful.
0: (laughs) I believe you're actually a registered sexual predator, so that's even worse.
1: Is that why we have to do this via Skype? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) When does the warden, uh, when's lights out, Marty? Because we have to wrap this up. No last names.
3: Oi, Marty, you, damn it.
0: (laughs) All prison's humor aside, pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery Tune. Again, if you know it, Email us at the very unfriendly email address of SIT eighties. Think about it, it makes sense, at gmail.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener.
3: Hey Steve. Yeah. Why don't you just pick a new email address that you don't have to make excuses for? I
0: did, and I screwed it up today. Thank you for reminding me, prisoner one five, six four nine two three We'll be right back after this commercial break.
3: Today
2: we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the
3: information purification of the We have created for the first time in all history a garden of pure ideology, where each worker may bloom, secure from the pests, obeying
2: contradictory force. Our of the force is more powerful a weapon than a one army on earth, we are one people, with one will, one resolve, one cause. Our enemies shall talk themselves to death, and we will carry them with their own confusion. We shall prevail. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Living on free food tickets, ordering the milk from a hole in the roof where the rain came through. What can you do? From your little sister crying because she doesn't have a just without a pen for the party to go. But you know you get by cause she's living in the love of the common people, far from the heart of a family I... man. Daddy's gonna buy you a dream to cling to. Mama's gonna love it just as much as she can, and she can.
0: And we're back. And we have time for one last final discussion. Here's my question to the gang. If you could make a sequel to 16 Candles, what kind of follow-up story would you write? What happens to Sam and Jake, to Ted and the Prom Queen, to Long Duck
3: Dong? All right. So the the obvious one is 17 Candles, but I would do 44 Candles. And it would be really (laughs) sad and depressing and nobody would watch it. It would be more like a, a John Cheever novel than it would be a John Hughes movie.
0: Wow, thank you for that.
3: You're welcome.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking at 18 candles, uh, Sam ends up in the back of a Rolls Royce with some freshman and half her hair missing. <laughs> God,
3: sadistic well, bastard! Actually, in 44 candles, um, a lot of the men would have yeah, they would have half their hair missing as well. So it's the same probably thing. more than half. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, Sam's married to Jake, but he's Jake's making furniture in Pennsylvania. Yes. So so much for that family fortune.
3: And oh by the way Long Duck Dong would um would be running Foxconn and would own you know uh, would be your master with because he controls all of the iPhones in the world.
0: <laughs> I don't doubt that for a second. I don't doubt that for a second. Hey, Brad in LA, Marty U also in LA. Thank you for participating. Amazing. Finally that after 7 years we get around to 16 candles. Um hopefully this year we get around to some of the other eighties comedies. What comedies are we have we not covered that we still need to cover?
1: I'd like to do Fletch.
3: The sure thing. I'd like to do Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Ooh. Oh yeah. I mean there there are so many and you know, I think we might not be as funny as these comedies, but or you guys might not be as funny as these comedies, but we still weren't. Harsh but fair. Yes. But we we could still honor them. Right.
0: Good point. Quick, Brad. Favorite line from uh, "Dirty Rotten Scoundrels."
1: Uh, Oklahoma, oh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma.
0: Do
3: you want to hear my favorite line? Yeah.
2: Oklahoma, 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 Oklahoma.
1: Oh my God! Close second would be why does he have a cork on his fork <laughs> to keep him from hurting himself <laughs> or others? I always like the "May I use the bathroom,
0: please." <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> thank you.
3: <laughs> Just the silence. <laughs> I don't think that's a line.
0: <laughs> ah, the great Steve Martin. Hey, in the meantime, we remain here uh, along with Long Duck Dong, Sam, Jake, the Furniture Maker, Marty, you, and the Great Brad in L.A. Hopelessly stuck in the eighties.
3: When you pretend you're gay, you can get any information from any woman.